Typology Tribe, Ian Cron here, back again with another installment of Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. Yeah, how are you doing, Ian? Man, I'm good, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well. Life is good. Well, I am delighted to see you again, my producer, my engineer, my friend, my handler, <laughs> as I've been told. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> True that. So I have a, uh, a question for you. All right. When was the last time you were in Europe? Gosh, it's been, it's been too long. A couple years. Yeah? Three, three four years. Uh, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite country? Um, it's actually more cities for me than country. Um, I love Vienna. Prague and St. Petersburg. Those those would be my wow three go tos. Yep, that's those are unusual. I think it's just because they're so artistic in nature. I mean mm. the, the 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 architecture, the the art, the museums, the castles, everything. Mm. How about you? Oh man. Well, I'm a, maybe a little bit more pedestrian. <laughs> I uh, I uh, you know I love Italy, mm-hmm. especially. Over uh, like Lake Como, that mm. that's over by if you head out towards Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, that's probably my favorite country is Italy. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the food, I love the people, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Did you know, by the way, that there are Enneagram teachers like Richard Rohr, among others, okay. that actually assign types to different countries? No way. Yeah, really. They also do animals. Like no, yeah, that's like, hilarious. Like like you know, I think ones were ants because they're so diligent, industrious, <laughs> you know, hardworking, that always is going. Great. Oh no, yeah, I mean it's it is it's kind of fun, a little tongue in cheek, uh-huh. but so what they, the way they do it is they they assign type to countries based on sort of their characteristic traits. Mm, okay. So okay, so let me give you some examples right. of this. All right. <laughs> so ones. Mm-hmm. Would be Switzerland, right? The perfectionists. Wow. Yeah. So you think about the watches, and have you ever been to Switzerland? I never have. All right. Well, you've never seen a cleaner, more ordered place on the planet. Wow. And you've never seen people get more annoyed if you are not <laughs> as ordered as they are, as in Switzerland. But I yeah. love it. I mean, I love Switzerland. It's one wow. of my favorite places. Twos are Italy. Okay. And you think you just think of, think of the quintessential oh, yeah. Italian mama, yeah. like babe, yeah. you know, lots of hugs, totally. lots of food, lots of love. Yeah. You know, that's that's for the helper, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, sort of the you know, at its worst, the smothering mother mm-hmm. stereotype, right? Threes. What do you think three three is? Uh, that might be home. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the United States. You know, we're there you go. we're the achievers. Right. We're the performers. Right. We're the ones who are image conscious. We're the yeah. ones who are also you know, very goal oriented, yep. overdrive, working hard, superpower, blah blah blah. Now let's get fours for a second. Okay. We'll jump back to it. Fives, Great Britain is was <laughs> totally, yeah. right. Think about Anthony Hopkins and yes. remains of the day. Yeah, yeah. So he's a little bit like one of the observers, the right. investigators, wow. standing apart a little. You know, they they can be a little at at a distance emotionally, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, six, Germany. Mm. Right, they are the the loyalists or the devil's advocate. Sixes are Germany, and that's that has actually a complicated historical element to it. That's worth a conversation one day. We don't have time for it mm-hmm. today. But seven, all right, talking about the enthusiasts. <laughs> there has to be a party going on. Where yeah, is it? Where, where is the party? Where do you think it is? You, I mean, it's got to have. It's got to have some uh, Latino influence. Yes, it does. It's Brazil. Okay, awesome. Yeah, Brazil. Totally. Another one is Ireland. Okay. People will say Ireland sometimes uh, yeah. for sevens, the yeah. enthusiasts, right? Yeah, totally. Eights, uh, Spain. 
Okay. Think about the running of the bulls yeah. and also the macho mm-hmm. intensity, yeah. the challenger. Yeah. Israelis tell me they think Israel is a neat country. Oh, wow. Israelis that I've taught the Enneagram to say, oh, we're definitely an eight an challenger eight. country. Wow. And nines, God bless the nines, <laughs> they get assigned either Mexico or Jamaica. <laughs> okay. That's great. I know. That's isn't awesome. that cool? I love it. Yeah, it's got some validity to it. So it yeah. helps people identify it. Now yeah. let's go. Let's go back to fours for a second. Okay. All right. What you're a four? I know right. that because you just named me. You wouldn't actually you didn't answer my question. You had to get a more interesting <laughs> of question. Course, of course, a different question <laughs> right. to which you could give a unique answer. That's right. Like That's right. you know, oh, I like Prague and Budapest <laughs> and and maybe Croatia right. and right. Bismarck. I mean, you know, come on, man. Right. Like, why, why couldn't you answer the I question? I couldn't play by the rules. Man, I went totally not that way, <laughs> and I'm a four as well. Okay, what do you think they? What country do you think they assigned fours on this well, list? It has to involve some romance. It does. A little bit of tragedy, maybe. A little bit of tragedy. Melancholy. Um, a little melancholy. How we doing? I'm uh, I'm hearing a French accent in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take France for $50. <laughs> well, yeah, you just kind of like ruined the whole thing. <laughs> but yes, it's France. Okay. Now, that would make sense, right? You think about the, you know, the we, we have a, a type here, the four is called the romantic or the individualist. And mm-hmm. you think about, this is a little bit of a stereotype, but you think about the, the French poets, the, mm. you know, the kind of mm. angsty, Albert Camus would be one. You think about Camus as the existential, you know, all that kind of uh-huh. dark, yeah. go to that dark space, mm-hmm. you know, and the French are, can be really good at that, you know. And frankly, so can the Russians at times, you know, but right. and think about literature. However, fours right. get France. Today, we get fours on typology. I love French films. Again, <laughs> what can we say? Right? Like, yeah. And I married a woman who speaks French, so. And she's a. She's a four. Case closed. Oh, word. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's you too can't. good. You can't. So today on the show. We've had fours on before, but mm-hmm. today we have a panel of fours. Oh, that's awesome. And we'll introduce them a little bit more on the show, but we've got the great songwriter, singer-songwriter, Sandra McCracken. we got Matthew Perryman-Jones, the singer-songwriter, who we've had on before, but whole different deal on a panel. Mm-hmm. My dear friend Don Chaffer, who's mm-hmm. a songwriter, uh, singer, writes musicals, really a brilliant cat, and... My good friend Megan Hyatt, who, or I should say, um, Megan Miller, uh, who happens to be Mike Hyatt's daughter and also the uh, the COO of, of Michael Hyatt and Company. So we got a, sort of a lovely group of men and women who represent the four or the individualist on the Enneagram. And what we're going to learn is, in fact, they are true to type. They are complicated, interesting uh, people. And wow. it's fun. And we get... Two songs on this show. One, we just spontaneously do one on the show. And we're going to get a little something by... Sleeping at Last. At the end of the show. Who, good old Ryan from come Sleeping on. at Last. He's come up with a new song His for us. Yeah. Man, it's a great show. So listen, everybody. Hold on tight. We're going to learn about Enneagram 4s, the individualists. Let's get to it. Welcome, Typology family. Ian Cron here, and I am with four dear friends. Uh, today, you are in for a treat. We have not just what was it? One, two, three, four, five, six. There are six fours, Enneagram fours, in 
this room. That is extraordinary. Six Enneagram fours in the same room. We have my dear friend, Don Chaffer, the singer, songwriter, musical composer of musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I say? Engineer, producer. Um, what else have you done? What else are you doing, Don? Um, I did an art show recently, some prints and things. That That's I right. I forgot about the art show. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that first awkward four yeah, moments. Yeah, Thank you for that. That was, the, thanks for getting it out of the way for us. That was wonderful on your part. Yeah. Matthew Perryman Jones, you have been a guest on the show before. Singer, songwriter, producer, just finished your latest record coming out in September mm-hmm. am I correct mm-hmm. What's do we, do we have a name for the project yet I think it's going to be called Lovers in Another Life Ooh. yeah mm. it's good does that pique any interest yeah you want to hear it should we, should we all take a, you want to take a hand vote on it or yeah. No, no. No. yeah have you considered irredeemably deficient <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that would be. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's good. Oh, mm, that'd be good, right? Yeah. Moving and on. Sandra, welcome. Another singer, songwriter, hymn writer, uh, extraordinary artist. And our paths have crossed in funny ways. Lady Lodge on air on Southwest Airlines, uh, all, all manner of places. Welcome to Typology. Thank you so much. We're really thrilled that you're here. And Megan Miller. My friend, COO of Mike Hyatt and Company, Enneagram for we've had a journey of self-discovery together. We have. There were many a uh, conversation. Yeah. A lot of angst. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of angst, yes. Yeah. Trying to figure out if, you, if, in fact, you were a four or what, you, or what you were. We're going to circle back to that yeah. in just a second. For those who are, are um, new to the Enneagram or to um, what life is like as an Enneagram 4. Let me just sort of give a 50,000-foot sort of flyby of the Enneagram 4, and then I want to leap in on some some stuff. The thing I love about panels is um, it's so much better for people to learn about these different types, these archetypes uh, of the Enneagram straight from the mouths of those who live in the shoes of those different styles of being in the world. And uh, which is why I'm thrilled that you all are here because we are known fours as the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram in general. You could say that fives are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram in terms of relationships. They just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking as someone, Don, who is married to a five, right? Uh, The... the, um, the thing about uh, fours is they are uh, often a, a mystery to other people and even uh, as much uh, they're a mystery to themselves mm-hmm. in lots of ways. Um, so people always have questions about fours. People are always asking me, uh, for example, I think my son or my daughter is a four. Help me. <laughs> what do I do? You know? Um, so we'll we'll do a little dive into that. So fours called the individualists, sometimes called the romantics or the tragic romantics. Mm. Um, these are folks who, uh, as you were saying earlier, Don, uh, tongue in cheek, 
have a sense that they are they they carry within themselves some some deficiency some unredeemable deficiency the a missing piece in their essential makeup that they can't quite name it's and, and it, it actually uh elicits or or um brings up in them this kind of inconsolable longing uh for the unnameable missing piece that they're trying to find and recover so that they can feel a part of the world they mm. they feel as though they're disqualified from belonging because mm. they're different from other people and um so this launches them on a lifelong quest usually early on right with the struggling low self-esteem i've never met a four who told me that that was not an issue for mm. them big issues around abandonment and loss these are major themes in the life of fours um, and their passion or their deadly sin, as we like to say it, is envy. And I, I wanted to say one thing about deadly sins that I've, I've really come to understand in recent months is, you know, if I'd had time in the road back to you to, to focus more on them, I would have, but I'm just learning, gosh, how important it is to know what that thing is, <laughs> mm. to know what that passion is, to know it when it gets activated mm. and when it is setting a fire off in the woods, you know, like. I can tell you a story about this at church yesterday, but it, it where I can literally now feel where it is in my body and go, mm. uh oh, it's starting. Right. It is starting right now. And oh gosh, to know it and be able to cut it off at the pass before it takes over, whew, it makes a huge difference. So envy, what is it that fours envy? We envy the normalcy, the happiness, and the apparent ease with which other people seem to move in the world. Mm-hmm. We just look at other people and think they just haven't suffered as much as we have. We, we just sort of have this perception that other people have had an easier time of it in this life. And that can sometimes give us a little bit of superiority almost because we also become addicted to our suffering if we're not careful. It's, it becomes actually the core of our identity is the tragic story of the past uh, that we don't know how to uh, divorce ourselves from. And, and, and even if we could, what would we, who would we be without it? Without that tragic story, you know, God would be ordinary, mm. which of course points to the 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 underlying motivation of the four, which is to be really a compulsive need to be unique mm. and special, uh, and as really as a strategy to compensate for what we perceive to be uh, this uh, irredeemable, yeah, this irredeemable yeah. deficiency that somehow or another. If we can just be special and unique enough, perhaps people will see us, an important theme, and then uh, let us come back from the Isle of Misfit Toys Mm. to join the rest of the human population, which is both what we want and what we most not want. Mm. So lots of contradictions to work with here. Am I right, people? Amen. Oh, gosh. Oh, So when I said the word envy, everybody in the room nodded. Um, And... Why? What? What is it? What was it when I said envy that everybody kind of went, oh, like we were in a support group and everybody was nodding. And so I'll say like there was an Orthodox prayer that I heard. You gotta speak. Tell tell people who you are, Don. I'm Don uh, Chaffer. <laughs> Do you need more than that? No, <clears throat> I'm special. I'm unique. I'm a snowflake. Um, I uh, I was reading an Orthodox prayer years ago, and it says. One of the it was a prayer of confession. It says, 
uh, the, one of the clauses was for when we have been wounded by the beauty of another. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, that happens to me so often. And I didn't, I was not conscious of being envious per se. I didn't feel like I wanted so-and-so's car or wife or oxen. <laughs> uh, and, but then I, but I realized that, that I often am sad to see someone do well because I realize I'll never have that. Mm. And just, so it's, it awakens a longing within me. And for a long time, I didn't tie the two together or realize there was anything wrong with it. I just thought, oh, there's that melancholy thing. But it turns out it's actually the spark plug on that is envy. Mm. It's, mm. it's wishing I had what they had. So, uh, just to be clear though, it's not like, um, not to become, Overly didactic, but you know, it's not like Schadenfreude, right? You that person's loss is not that no, no, person's no. gain is not your loss. No, Their success right. is not your failure. Right. It highlights the fact that I'm never going to have what they have. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. I feel that way. Right. right. So yeah. there's not. It doesn't. Uh, the only reason I want to make that clear is that I think sometimes there's that malevolent belief that oh, that's sort of a meanness. And no, no, it's not. It's not uh, that we perceive other people's successes as our failures. It's only highlighting uh, our. Uh, inability to rise up and on the contrary i'd say that fours are often pretty sympathetic when they see weakness in other people mm-hmm. i think that really oh, awakens yeah. a compassion at yes. least for me that's definitely been yeah. true it's just that just when they're doing well that i have a problem <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and it's interesting it's not with them because i think i actually no right it's with i me. love to see I, yeah. people win like like if you like if you guys have a, a hit record i'm like that's awesome. Yeah. Like sympathetic joy. Hooray. That's awesome. Yeah. But then I would probably go home and go, how come I've never done that? Right. Like, yeah. when, when's my moment coming? You had a good point. Like I've, I've, I've always struggled with the idea of envy because I always consider envy being like, well, you have, you know, what things. Um, mm-hmm. And to clarify that it's about uh, more of like a, a state of being, like there's something that other people have in their being that I don't seem to have, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of more of an interior thing. Yeah. I've never really struggled with like what people have or like you know, successes or whatever, but it's more what is it about them that they have in their makeup and, you know, that I don't seem to have or I can't access, you know. And that, that for me, that seems to be what I envy in other people mm. is this sort of a bit like... Uh, it's more of a makeup thing. What I perceive in somebody's makeup. Can you give an I, Can you give an example of it? Um, well, it's um, hmm. Like some people that seem to have like the, the first thing that comes to mind. I have I have some some friends that are uh, seem to be able to uh, that are lighter in their sort of ability to sort of uh, be in the world. And I have found myself in very, I haven't, it's not obvious to me up front that there's these little rubs that I get. And I, I find it's like, man, there's something, there's an ease, and it's, you know, that sort of ease, that perception of ease, but um, but sort of a lightness of being and, a, and sort of an ability to sort of move in and out of places without much... Um, <laughs> Excuse me. Trouble or thought or whatever. Like they're they're not stuck in things. They seem to be a little more fluid. Um, that's the, uh, for me. That's that seems to be the. It's, and I would. I, I'm curious because my experience of it in in the story of my life is that I was not conscious of the causal relationship. I didn't realize for a long time that it was seeing someone else do well that caused me to go into these funks. But I would go into the funk anyway. I would just feel bad about myself. I can't do this thing, you know. Mm-hmm, and then I would mm-hmm. real later realize later. If I would trace back, where did that, in my body, where did that thing, that anxiety start? Where did that 
pang come and i would mm. then eventually i learned to trace it back often too mm -hmm. so it didn't it didn't feel like envy in the way it manifested right they weren't involved in the thought it was all about me right yeah right yeah is that true for you too? Yes, yeah. that's why I had trouble with the envy when I when I heard about. It, I was like, I don't know if I'm an envious person, but it's, right. it's very subtle for me, like yeah. that the way that works. Um, I was just going to ask as a follow up: What is the difference between envy and jealousy? Like, it, are they completely different things in this context? Well, or because I have never related to the word envy in that in the way you're describing it as a part of like a core part of things. I do feel uh, that there's an attachment to suffering and empathy to other people and always has been even before it was like I mean as a very young person I remember people saying like have you suffered a lot I was like no I just I just feel this way and I can connect to other people's losses in this way so it was a wiring even prior to really experiencing anything mm. hard in my own life mm -hmm. so I'm curious mm. the difference between envy and jealousy yeah so envy has more to do with the desire for uh, characteristics, right, that other people have, right? And jealousy has more to do with things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, I would say that uh, jealousy tends to occur when we feel like something we already possess is at risk of being taken away mm -hmm. from us. Mm. Mm. Does that make sense, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we can, I mean, as far as we can experience jealousy as well, like anybody else, mm -hmm. um, but I think for us, jealousy has to do with the our fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it expresses itself in the possessiveness that we oftentimes feel toward people we love. Mm -hmm. So we're very we're jealous of people we love, mm -hmm. you know. Uh so but but because we're afraid of losing, right? But envy has mm -hmm. to do with I there's there's something about you characteristic you know in your character or your person that i want you know and this this is megan talking um the thing that struck me when you were talking about this idea of envy it goes back to that missing piece or something's missing mm -hmm. so for me in my own life this has been a lot about belonging mm -hmm. feeling like other people just naturally belong and mm -hmm. fit in to circumstances and I don't you know I can think about like being in middle school and it was just painful you oh. know I think middle school is terrible anyway but I, I imagine that maybe being a foreign middle school is the worst version mm -hmm. of that you know just mm -hmm. always feeling kind of like I was on the outside looking in and this happened even for me yesterday uh, my husband Joel and I are attending a new church and I am coming from a church background where I had been there all my life you know knew everybody since I was five years old and now we go to Easter and we go to like the little um, you know potluck afterwards and I look around I don't see any familiar faces but everybody's talking to each other and so kind of I'm, I'm definitely an introvert um, by nature but there's that just profound sense of everybody else has an easy time connecting yeah. and finding their place in this group and I literally and figuratively feel like I'm on the outside looking in like I just don't quite belong nose against the glass totally nose against the glass yeah. and I would say that's true in a lot of situations professionally I've had to kind of overcome it and learn to push through that feeling and just sort of do it anyway um, but I always feel that so one of the reasons I'm so excited you're here Megan is because everybody tends to associate force 
with artists or creatives. Right. Right. And there is a disproportionate number of fours in the creative arts or, or you know, I know lots of fours who are like my massage therapist or my Reiki person, <laughs> you know, or the, 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 we, we tend Energy to find people. these unusual, you know, yeah, my, my floral arrangement or, or arranger, or, you know, the guy who picks my paint colors of the house or whatever, the sort of Nietzsche sort of gigs that um, provide fours with opportunity to... Mm-hmm really i think uh give their feelings which are overwhelming um ways of um coming out healthily i mean you know Mm -hmm. in a way that you hope uh, is being channeled rightly you're in business yeah and here you are you got three artists in the room and i'm like no (laughs) i I cannot (laughs) i cannot have a fourth artist in this room Uh, i've got to let people know that there are other fours that there are fours who do all kinds of stuff so What's it like being a four, hmm. this high creative, this yeah. uh, person who's very inwardly focused on their own feelings, right. typically, in the world of business? It's challenging. Um, it's it's great in a lot of ways because I think I bring the creative aspects of who I am and the way I see the world to our business. And so when we're uh, creating experiences for our clients in the context of live events and workshops, um, you know, those are going to be beautiful and every, every detail is going to be attended to. So I think that's really a part of it. And, and my empathy helps me to lead my team, but I, you know, we'll probably get into this later, but my subtype is the self-preservation subtype, which means that Mm. for me, a lot of my emotions are kind of below the surface. It's not that I feel any less than maybe these other guys in the room that may experience things more um, without that kind of barrier. But for me, it's like there's kind of this lid and there's sort of like a storm underneath the lid that I have to keep bottled up. And so um, that that's challenging, you know, when there's an emotionally intense season professionally where I've got to be you know, somewhat disconnected from my emotions in order to be effective. Um, so I don't know. It's mm. kind of weird. Actually, at dinner the other night um, with another uh, couple who are in business together, and the husband of that couple is an Enneagram Four. He's also leading their business, mm. and we were just talking about he has a background in um, graphic design and arts, and just kind of the aesthetic piece of that, but also how. He kind of likes the structure as sort of a break. The business side is sort of a break from all the emotional stuff, which is interesting. Mm. So I was like, I've never met anybody like you before. Except myself. (laughs) (laughs) We high-fived each other. That's good. That's good. Um, For fours, typically, relationships are the theater of pretty much everything. You know, like that's where the rub comes in. We tend to look for the ideal. Like, and by the way, Megan, I just want to make, before we move on, so you're in the room, you know me earlier. Yes. There, in come three songwriters who all know each other, right? What were you feeling in that I moment? I was like, crap, I didn't know this was like a music thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, I had all those same feelings of like, well, I mean, if I try to sing, that's going to be a disaster, you know, and if I, I don't, I don't play any instruments. So, so there was that immediate sense of here is the gap. I mean, I'm dramatizing a little bit for the sake of this moment, which I would never do otherwise, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's this gap between who I am and where everybody else is that is just not aligned. And I feel that. Misalignment. That's a nice word. Misalignment. 
You know? I too, and though, I, am a self-preservation four, and we I've been spending five. I've been spending weeks or months on spreadsheets, so we can talk yeah. about that if you want to as well. <laughs> oh, good. We'll talk Excel formulas, <laughs> really. Just you enjoy that. I do enjoy it. Yeah, huh. Sandra. Um, what about for you? How does envy this passion of envy? What is it? How does it play out in your life? What does it look like? What's it feel like? Um, well, I guess that's probably why I started with a question is I don't really know. I think that's the part of the description of the four that I don't fully connect to or know mm-hmm. how to connect to yet. Um, but I do, I feel, um, I feel like it's in there. I just don't know if I have access to it, to put words to it. Okay. Was well, we were just talking now, um, one of the things that struck me is maybe uh, a, a close synonym to envy um, m- might be this uh, longing born of comparison. Fours are always comparing themselves to other people, right? Like literally it can be something like, gosh, Don Chaffer, you have a new haircut today. And I was looking at it mm-hmm. thinking, gosh, I wish I had hair. Because then, because it could be like that for force. It's not even like, you know, deep mm-hmm. stuff. It could just be, mm-hmm. man, I wish I, gosh, I wish I had hair at all uh, <laughs> that could do that. Because actually then yeah. I would look more interesting and, and cool yeah. like Don does maybe be right. more unique in the right. world. You know, literally it can be like that, you know, uh, as petty as that or as big as why can't I write like Faulkner, you know, which is a ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I think, thing, too, it's, but, I think the, the other thing is also I think the envy is often experienced isolated from the person. So it's like, why can't I have a Faulkner-esque writing career? Yes. Right. Like, in other words, it's not I mean, I, I know I just associated it with Faulkner, but I'm just saying it's like I think a lot of times it's experienced as just that longing or sadness or disappointment with your life. And it's hard to connect where it came. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's like somewhere downstream. Mm. But the thing I've experienced, you know, about being for and it may be because of the self preservation piece i don't know but i've noticed lately um i am uh pretty tuned in to my emotions most of the time except for fill in the blank like there are certain things i'm completely unaware of feeling it's like the you know the old maps here be dragons it's like there there are certain topics old family things or whatever the kind of current molten emotional issue is that I can be really clueless about. Um, and so I feel like that happens with the envy thing too. It's like at the, at the lighter level, maybe it's not so hard to see, but it depends actually on how proud I'm feeling. Mm. If I don't want to admit that I wished I had hair, like I just, I also feel like I've got a receding hairline. The space for rent could be written on my forehead, but Don, I have a, a forehead that looks a little bit like a helicopter windshield, so I think you're okay, yeah, okay well, at, the, at the present I, moment. Yeah, yeah. I have bangs, but I've got the big forehead, too. Okay, well, so, okay, well. I always have. Is I, that a know, four thing? Do we know? Is there like a, what is that? Is that you know? some sort of a forehead fixation? Is yeah, no, or just that, what's that, you know, the old uh, brain mapping deal? Anyway. The, never mind. This episode is sponsored I, I, by... Um, Hair treatment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rogaine. We can just Rogaine. Add yeah, that in exactly. Right now. Uh, yeah. You know what? I I would say on the positive side that the um, that envy, the force, the generative force of envy, can, has actually fueled artistic development for me as oh. a musician, as a songwriter. So there are sometimes over the years where I I go to a a live performance and I would be so moved that I'd want to quit, and then there are other times I would be like, I can do that. 
you know, and I'd go in and like really push forward to learn a new thing or to, to, you know, play a new instrument or whatever that application was. But because there's such a, the receptors are so wide open, I think it's caused a generative um, energy toward the work. And I think that's been really positive. So there's that great example of what's best about us is also what's worst about us. There's the redeemed or redemptive side of that longing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is what, and Matthew, I think you and I spoke about this last time you were on the show, and I do love that idea of that German word, Zenzucht, you know, that 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 inconsolable longing for that far off country, for mm-hmm. that that place beyond that it that pining and that sense of connection to it, that when you uh, or other songwriters, artists, dancers tap into it, mm-hmm. and there is this powerful, rich, deep, fast emotional connection to an audience. To the point of tears where it's like, oh, boom. I mean, there it is. I mean, that's the thing you live for as a four, right, is to, is, is to connect, I mean, s- as deeply as you can. And as I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. not that I've ever tried heroin. Uh, you, you, it's that sudden rush of it. It's like, I want to go from zero to 100 with you mm. as, now. Yeah. And then I want to get out of here. <laughs> so I don't have and, to. And know. I think that works in business, too. I always think of that Don Draper moment, which I don't know if he's a four, but he seems like he probably is in Mad Men, where he gives the pitch for the Kodak carousel. And he's it's like they it's a the slide projector. And, and he's got slides of his family. And he does this little monologue about what family is like and how we long for these connections and everything. And they flip the lights on and everybody's in tears and they got the account. And so I think it's like that capacity to tell a story mm-hmm. or, or cast a vision and to like, t- to step into an emotional space where other people often don't go, I think is the yeah. way that manifests. Yeah. But what about so, so just to focus in on this, Sylvia Plath, okay. Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin. Um, These are all depressing examples. Well, I know, I know, but here's where I'm going though. Is like, <clears throat> what? Uh, and we and the list can just go on and on mm-hmm. of, of people who, for all, I mean, for they they appear to to be for what happened. And there's a long list. I mean, face it. You know, when you look at the list of famous fours, it is not encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, at one level it is, at another level it's like, oh. Gosh, some of these people ended poorly. What happened? Hmm. Um, the, Go. What do you got, Sandra? It, Sandra. I was just going to say, for any number, for any type, the shadow side is with us all the time. So you know, um, and I think personally, the more in depth you go, you go, and you can whatever the field, whatever your field is. I mean, for me, it would be a performance. So if there's like a performance, and it feels like you just go really deep with people there's a good chance I'll be like in the fetal position in my hotel room the next day. Cause it's just like this, there's this flip where it's like, I don't, I don't know why they're there together, but I think I'm kind of making peace with it and just like, okay, this is normal that, I, <laughs> that I would feel wrung out, that I would feel exhausted mm. and that, um, it's also worth doing. And I don't know if I have an answer for it, but I do feel like it's, it's, um, kind of the way things continue to move. Mm. So I think I think realizing that I can anchor myself to a reality that's not just my feelings is part mm-hmm. of the practice. And I think in in addition to that, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and she's also a four and an artist, does a lot of different things. And she was she had um, 
her therapist had said to her recently, like, you know, feelings are not the same as thoughts. <laughs> so she, so I learned from her therapist by, hmm. vicariously that like, oh my gosh, like we live by feelings. They're actually not thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. These things that are kind of um, whatever's in the gas in the car are feelings. And so to be able to differentiate that and to be at the beginning of a journey of that, even though I'm like well into my life, it's like, um, it, yeah, it's, it's not boring. I mean, we're going <laughs> to have more to work on as we go forward. But I don't think that's unique to force. I think everybody's going to have a shadow side of whatever the strengths are. Mm-hmm. I wonder too, like my suspicion is, is that, uh, people who are of that temperament who are like, we'll say artists, like who are, cre- who are creating out of their sort of inner, um, constructs like they're they're just it's coming from within when you're put in a in a context like an industry um where you're having having to push out something or something's coming from outside of you to demand something that i'm not i've never really put this in the words so this is going to be clumsy but just the idea that there's an external pressure to to produce something that somebody recognizes, mm-hmm. like a record label goes, wow, there's there's something really special about this person or this art that this person's making. Let's bring it out into Give the limelight. Give us another Smells Like Team Spirit. Yeah, team, and so now spirit. there's a demand on that. And then also there's success. And I think fours, I don't know if any of you would resonate with this, but I know for myself, success is one of the most dreadful things to experience. Mm. Yes, And so is. I think yeah. it, especially if it's especially if it's continuing to ask you to to produce what you did naturally and that felt true to you that felt authentic and again it goes into that four need for authenticity it's like it feels like a sham after a while and i think in a lot of those artists you see like kurt cobain openly just sabotaging success mm. just shunning it just having disdain for it and and I, you see them fighting this thing like there's this beast and these at these accolades and all this shiny industry stuff and you see artists absolutely fighting it and like get away from me and i think how do you at what point where how do you reconcile that how do you continue to to create in a way that feels authentic to you while an industry is wanting you to continue to hmm. produce something hmm. for them you know yeah. i experienced that even um in business where what i'm producing is not um, creative in the way that art is, but that tension with success, I'm constantly asking myself at every hmm. every step, am I still congruent with who I am? You know, I use that word congruent a lot, probably because authenticity doesn't feel authentic enough. <laughs> <laughs> and because cheapened. everybody uses that it's stupid so word. Everyone, it's just, yeah, exactly. Sometimes something more original. But I really do struggle with that. You know, am I still going to be myself if I accomplish this, am I still going to be myself or will this success somehow take away part of who I am and compromise it in a way that I can't get it back? And then I would be fake. And then, and then, and then we go to the doom yeah. loop, you know, mm. and the so doom loop. The do doom loop. I love that. That's that my well, it's my new cereal. Well, doom loop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would all buy it. But I, you know, my husband would say who it's interesting, Don, that you're married to a five because I'm married yeah. to a five and thank God for him. Cause he's my great, you know, steady, steadying. Yeah. My dad said when we were dating, he's your tether ball pole yeah. to your tether ball, which is truer every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he'll he'll just challenge me and say, 
okay, you're doing the doom loop now. And I usually get into this kind of like I'm on the edge of self-sabotage where I want to quit. I think about quitting. I mean, it happens like at least once a quarter, you know, where I just do the loop and, Mm -hmm. and more and more I'm starting to recognize it's a pattern and that success feels like a threat potentially to authenticity and I have to be really aware of that. But does it also feel, sorry to jump in again, does, does it also threaten the state of longing that we're so attached to? Mm. Like in other words, oh, when you, wow. when you yeah. reach that place, what if it's I like, oh, I'm here. Still feel like something's what do I missing? do now? <laughs> like yeah. I'm so attached to that sense of I want, I want, Ooh. want and longing, yeah. you know. Right. So in other words, it's like the dog who catches the car. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, well, now then what do I do? Right. You know, it's like, right. if I don't have a car to chase, right. I, now my whole purpose right. for being right. is kind of like thrown out the window. He's sitting there, yeah. he's laid up in the hospital, you know, because that was a rough day. They caught the tire. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, thinking, though, if, now, you're, now what do I have to if you're writing songs and you're performing, that suffering is such a huge impetus to that creative process. And what happens if a lot of the suffering in your life? But likewise, are the, maybe all the best ideas come mm-hmm. from that place, right? Or the best, yeah, yeah, totally. or the most authentic yeah. you know, instincts or whatever. So, you know, another thing, when you ask that question, what happened? I, um, my immediate kind of instinctive thought was they, mm-hmm. they stopped fighting. Um, and it was interesting, Matthew, when you shared the thing about, I mean, actually, it's been every stage of it. Because first, Sandra, when you said the idea of just like winding up fetal and accepting that that's a part of of the the cycle of it you know like i that was a major t- turn in my life when i realized oh it's okay if i feel these this like rampant despair it's not necessarily real mm-hmm. i don't have to actually chase this down as if it were a truth i just worked 70 hours this week and i'm tired and i'm especially vulnerable or it's right after mm-hmm. i did some public thing where i really spent a lot of myself and this is the natural mm-hmm. kind of backwash and the more that i learned to sort of ignore it the healthier i got mm-hmm. um and i don't mean that in a absolute sense but i mean there's some measure of you know uh taking it with a grain of salt as it were like sometimes you just need a nap yeah yeah exactly yeah it could be that you have actually just normal needs that Mm -hmm. aren't writ large and um tragic right our interpretation of those things is often like (laughs) yeah 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 and it must mean something but but the fighting thing there's something internal too about and when you started talking matthew about the idea of fighting against that those people out there I wonder if that's what it is, is when the focus goes off of fighting against whatever this thing is within us. If we if we lose track of that at some level for too long, then it gets a chance to run amok. Does that make sense? Like there's there's some sort of if you if you can maintain an awareness of this irredeemable deficiency and try to keep seeking it. I'm not saying this is the ultimate health. I'm just saying if you don't if you're not actually seeking true health right and you get distracted from that fight to the fight out there then all of a sudden when you have to turn and look into yourself you're like what's the point Mm. there's just there's nothing left if i'm deficient and they want me to be something other than that as well i don't need to be here Mm. does that make sense Mm -hmm. i I just wonder if that's i don't know making that up as i go along well thank you mr chaffer for that closing insight and uh thanks everybody for listening to the most complicated number on the Enneagram, Enneagram 4s. Uh, stay tuned for our next installment, the second half of this panel of fours, on which we will sing unrehearsed a great, uh, a great Bob Dylan song. But as promised, we're going to close with this song today by Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last. This is his song about Enneagram 4s. Don't tune out. Tune into it. 
And remember, until next week, remember the great words of Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. See
Hidden 